0: You're listening to the Co Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co host from ESPN.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's all business, Ben Folks. Ben, you showed up about twenty minutes late to do the podcast today. What I would describe as willfully late. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about uh, it? You going to fire me? It's, <laughs> no, I'm, clearly I'm powerless to retaliate. Wish except, you would. Except to say that's not that's not all business, man. That's what I would describe as letting it get a little raggedy around the edges.
1: Yeah. You know, I I'm not going to make any excuses. I mean, I could say that I stopped. At your your gas station here to get myself a, a coffee and a little bit of a snack, and got got detained by the numerous street urchins running around there. Now that school's in spring break and all the ragamuffins in your neighborhood have come out to to act a fool in the in the sun. I, I'm not going to do that though. I'm not going to blame that entirely for late. Well, you kind of just late. did,
0: though. You just did the, I oh. don't want to make any excuses, How about that? I'm going to make excuses How about thing. that? Well, I just, I'm, I just want to make it clear that if the podcast is not done until late tonight because I can't get it mixed and edited by the time I have to go pick up my baby, here we go. at which point all work must stop until my wife comes home, uh, the people have you to blame. Just for I don't know, moseying around and showing up whenever you felt like it.
1: You're gonna be sitting around in your house watching baseball after I leave, exactly like you were doing when I showed up. Don't even don't even pretend like it's nose to the grindstone shit over here.
0: You know what you are? You're you're what people in the in the business refer to as the talent. It's <laughs> like, oh man, I gotta work with talent today. God knows when he'll show up. He'll be hungover. He's got his double shot of espresso with his little Starbucks can. You're unbelievable, you know that? Anyway, uh, let's get on with the show proper. This week's co-main event podcast, back to normal after last week's debacle, uh, including the the bet that we lost to Ariel Helwani. Uh, it comes to you in three rounds. In round number one, word is Alexander Gustafson got cut this week, not metaphorically John Fitch-style cut, but actually literally cut on his face. In round number two... I guess it would make sense after defeating a fucking superhero coming with the anti-bullshit that George St. Pierre would go on to play a supervillain in a major motion picture. We'll talk about everything that it means. And in round number three, Shinya Aoki returns this weekend at 1FC, highlighting a full slate of independent MMA shows that also includes Legacy FC 19. And no, I'm just fucking with you. We're not going to talk about any of that. We're actually just going to talk about Invicta again. Oh, wow. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, a note on this week's music. Which comes to us from CME listener Kyle Kelly Yoner, who is a rad drummer and an awesome dude.
1: Wow, that means something coming from you because you are a drummer and I know you have pretty high standards for your your drumming interests.
0: No, he's way better than me. Way better.
1: But can he make as many awesome drum faces as you make while doing it? That I don't know. That's, I think, the, your, your greatest strength.
0: Well, Kyle may concentrate on actually playing good, which some it could take away from Overrated. the Overrated Anyway, we'll hear from two of his bands during this week's episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast, a band called Split Screens and a band called Mr. Kind. And if you like what you hear, you can check them both out at their websites, meetmrkind.com or splitscreensmusic.com.
1: Well, expect 16 more plugs in exchange for letting Chad use the music.
0: But right now, like we always do about this time... It's listener mail, listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week is not necessarily a question, but more of a correction, because as you know, when we get stuff wrong here on the CME, we we, we like to go back and set things right. So this week, uh, Ricardo Campello wrote us and he he wanted to say, hey, guys, just heard this week's podcast. I assume you've already received lots of emails, quote, correcting you on a fact. Here we go. <laughs> Since who triangle, who triangle choked crazy horse Bennett was Cristiano Marcello, not Rafael Cordero backstage at Pride. Uh, but what I would like to add is that most incredible, the most incredible thing was that right after waking up, Bennett knocked out Vanderlei Silva with a sucker punch. By that time, uh, I used to train BJJ at Shootbox. And everybody knew that story. Years ago, Bennett recorded a video relating the incident, and if you watch Vanderlei's interview with Mike Schiavello, when asked about it, Vanderlei smiles and says, this is a secret. (laughs) Totally happened, dude. Please note that this happened right before he fought and beat Ricardo Arona in the rematch. I assume he means Vanderlei Silva.
1: You know, I got many tweets Last week, correcting me on that fact. Did you? Because this was <laughs> yes. the only email we got. Well, uh, that's surprising. Um, but yeah, that obviously I screwed up there. Um, at least I got, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of the right team, right sphere of guys. Um, but yeah, I was wrong there. Thank you for correcting me on that. What fact. I
0: like about this is that it makes the story even more like difficult to believe and miraculous <laughs> with the few added facts. Anyway, let's go on. Uh, The first piece of actual listener mail question comes from uh, Tobias Fanazzi from Switzerland. He writes, did you happen to watch Dana White's new video blog? Oh, did we ever? Besides Nick the Tooth eating hot sauce and the whole gang shooting all kinds of guns in Dana's backyard like a bunch of rednecks. And then he says, sorry if I'm offending anyone here. It also shows the UFC president riding a motorcycle at 125 miles an hour without wearing a helmet. Considering the fact that Dana is also suffering from Meniere's disease, do we need to ask ourselves if he has become borderline suicidal (laughs) or what kind of message is he trying to get across here? Now, we actually, earlier this week, had this exact same discussion pretty much via the email after watching Dana White's video blog, which... When it first came out, I tried to watch it, and when it turned out, it was just going to be hijinks of, like, Dana White and his cadre of buddies hanging around in Maine, uh, clearly annoying the shit out of all the locals. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm not going to watch this. But you love hijinks. Not this kind of hijinks. <laughs> so I turned it off and didn't know until the next day when I got an email from you alerting me to the, to the fact that the video blog ends with Dana White and his buddies, like racing their motorbikes around this two lane highway in rural Maine. Again, obviously driving the locals fucking crazy. Uh, But yeah, he does do that and it is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it, it
1: definitely made me revisit our conversation about, hey, what's going to happen once Dana White isn't around anymore, and both of us being absolutely certain that the only way Dana White's not going to be around anymore is if he dies, well, here's a good way for that to happen. Yes. Uh, The dude with Meniere's disease, which apparently can suddenly strike you down with uh, bouts of crippling vertigo, is out there on a motorcycle, no helmet, doing over 100 miles an hour on some two-lane highway in Maine. Now, it's one of those things where I wouldn't worry so much about the message it sends because I don't... Really think there are that many people out there, any impressionable youths, uh, trying to model themselves after Dana White's behavior. I mean, he's a good role model for another eccentric millionaire fight promoter, perhaps, but not for regular people. And I think we all realize that. So I'm not too concerned with that part of it. The things that struck me though were one that, yeah, he seems, I mean, if I had that much money and I had, you know, I could kind of make my life as awesome as I wanted it, the one thing I really wouldn't do is take stupid chances on a motorcycle because if I smatter my brain all over the the two lane highway in rural Maine, then I'm not going to get a chance to live this awesome life as a millionaire betting million dollar hands of blackjack.
0: Yeah, right? you're, and you're right that like I don't think we need to be worried that Dana White is going to set a, a negative example for like teens, the teens of the world, because. God knows he's been doing that for years. (laughs) And if you are a young child out there that uses Dana White as your role model, I think you've got problems above and beyond this particular video blog. You should stop right now. It does, I think, though, cast under a slightly more skeptical light. uh, You know, the aftermath of these things were like Jose Aldo screws up his own foot riding a motorcycle or whatever he did. And then we all had to come out and be like, oh, professional athlete, maybe shouldn't be riding his motorcycle right before a fight. Like... How's Dana White going to be able to call Jose Aldo on the phone next time and be like, Jose, don't be riding around on your motorbike weeks out from this championship fight. When there's a video of him on the Internet, like not only not wearing a helmet and driving 125 miles an hour, but having a conversation with his buddy who is filming it like while it's happening. Why couldn't you throw on a helmet? Just it would be well then, but dude, then you wouldn't feel the breeze blowing uh-huh. over your head and well, you get the full experience here's of the y- you main tu- <laughs> vacation.
1: <laughs> you touched on it, and I feel like maybe our our Swedish question asker, uh, Swiss, Swiss. Okay, well, for our purposes, the same thing. Uh, <laughs> but the thing that Americans I think will find striking about this is Dana White and his his buddies all go to Maine to act exactly like the kind of just out-of-state jerks that I'm sure the people from Maine absolutely hate and hate that they have to economically depend on. Because, uh, they're you know, they're going to an apple orchard and there's a nice old lady in the background who can be heard talking about the importance of, of growing these apples a certain way while Dana and his buddies are arguing about who got the more perfect apple. They're shooting off guns. They're riding around at incredibly excessive speeds on the motorcycle like montana is another one of these states kind of like maine where one thing everybody here hates is rich out-of-staters who come here and treat it like it's just their goddamn playground uh and you just the whole time watching that i had to be thinking of man there are so many just awesome new englandy maine dudes right now who are just so pissed off about all these antics
0: yeah can you imagine driving your car home from work (laughs) Uh, on this two-lane highway, and all of a sudden, you see a bunch of rich dudes go blowing by you the other way at 125 miles an hour. Oh, shouldn't be doing that. Here, oh wow, that's awful. <laughs> oh, that's not bad. That's not even Murder She Wrote level main <laughs> accent. Jesus. Okay, let's just move on from that because I don't think that we want to go there. On a
1: list, put a helmet on. <laughs>
0: Jesus Christ, that's terrible. All right, the second kill listener- yourself in a jiffy. Oh my goodness. Second piece of listener mail comes this week from Jeremy Sexton, who writes, what's the deal with GSP always being in these controversial situations? First, there was the grease situation in the second BJ Penn fight, which caused athletic commissions to change their rules because Phil nurse literally could not keep his greasy little paws off George's torso. (laughs) After that, it seems GSP is taken to doing his best triple H impression before and after every round. Does that give him a slickness advantage? Does it not? I'm all I'm not really Sure. Taking the grease hoopla into account, it's hard not to think George believes it helps. Now we've got this whole shady weight deal. Of course, there's no way nine tenths of a pound costs Nick Diaz that fight, but the whole situation just seems kind of fishy. What's with George being the center of all this controversy? Is it because he's so good and so dominant? After all, we never hear anything about this. We never hear anything like this about Dan Hardy. Maybe his maybe his domination of the division causes people to scrutinize. Is this something that's going to eventually tarnish his image or legacy? I tend to think not, which prompts another question: Why not? Why would people's react? What would people's reaction be if it were John Jones instead? Well, we all know what people's reactions would be if it were John Jones. I don't know that we need to go into that. But I do, I mean, my answer to Jeremy Sexton's question would be that it is because George St. Pierre is so dominant. And mostly. In fact,
1: it's 90% that.
0: Mostly. And I think that we got a good you know, look into that in the wake of this Diaz fight, where as soon as it was over, it was clear that Nick Diaz and Nick Diaz's camp had just gotten their ass kicked so bad that the only way they could even make sense of it in their own mind was to be like, well, he must have a spy in our camp because (laughs) otherwise this would have come out completely differently. You know? So I think that like a lot of times it's hard for dudes to put this kind of loss in perspective, because George St Pierre, as much as we bitch about how boring he is, like George St Pierre beats people in a fashion that couldn't possibly be any more dominant. It's not like you can do the the Brandon. Boy, it could Vera. be knocking
1: him out. I mean, John Jones. No, beats but that, suits the, a, like
0: if you if it would be less dominant if he knocked him out because then that would give dudes like Brandon Vera. The opportunity to go on the internets and be like, all right, John, you got me this time, man. Like you landed that one lucky elbow on my face. If, if that hadn't happened, everything would have been fine. Yeah,
1: know, I'm sure Brandon Vera would not have done that if John Jones hadn't said one, a, a fairly plodding five round decision over him.
0: Man, he George St. Pierre is taking away these guys manhood. He's going out there. <laughs> well, OK, kicking their ass for 25 minutes in a row, making them look like helpless children the other best 175-pound fighters in the world, making them look like toddlers. And when they're done, they they can't make sense out of it. Their brains will not compute it.
1: Okay, I think you have a valid point there. I also, though, think this is one where it's unfair to George to be like, he's at the center of this controversy. Because he's not really. Like, we still don't know what exactly he weighed in at. Like, he might have shown up and hit 170 on the nose And this whole whether the Quebec Commission had screwed up in saying that they were not going to count the decimal or, or, you know, whatever they thought that their rules were and then later decided they were not. I mean, we don't even know if it matters as far as what George actually did. And, you know, if he was... You know, one seventy point five. You could have stripped down behind the towel or something, and it would have been fine. Like we don't even know if he has any role in this controversy. This is a controversy between Nick Diaz, the Quebec Commission, and to a lesser extent also the UFC. Which you know, it was the UFC executive we see in the video telling Nick Diaz's camp about it, and then the UFC, which filed a copyright claim to get that video taken down, even though you can't really copyright a conversation that you didn't even know was being recorded uh, from the from the look of it. So. That this one, you know, the the grease one. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, You know, this one, it's unfair to be like George is in the middle of this because this isn't his fault.
0: No, he's just wearing guys around like a hat. Yeah,
1: that's all it is.
0: He could have fought those BJ Penn fights wearing a sandpaper suit, (laughs) and he still would have kicked his ass that bad.
1: Well, I mean, you get elbowed in the face by a dude wearing a sandpaper suit, you're gonna know about it. It's just a lucky shot.
0: Anyway, next piece of listener mail this week comes from Ben Hofstetter. I recently saw that Cain Velasquez says Fallon Fox shouldn't fight other women. Joe Rogan, Cyborg Santos, and others have made their opinions on the matter known as well. My question is, why do we keep asking fighters and personalities complicated ethical and medical questions such as this one? I think this is a good point, but I want to say before we answer it that I feel like Cain Velasquez, Joe Rogan, and Cyborg Santos can speak on this Subject just as authoritatively as, say, I can, yeah. because I freely admit I, I'm i not I'm a, I ain't no scientist. I don't know what's going on what? with. Really? <laughs> I know. It's surprising news. But uh, we talked about the Fallon Fox situation a couple weeks ago on the show and both levied our opinions when, in fact, I have no medical knowledge that that can really provide any sort of conclusive answer. So. Uh, you know, these guys are just as uh, – have just as much right to talk about it as we do. And obviously people ask them. except for in the case of Joe Rogan. I don't know if anybody asked him. I think he just aired his 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 opinion on his podcast. But like people ask these questions to people like Cain Velasquez because eh, we have the right stories about it.
1: Yeah, and we're curious what he's going to say. Uh, also, though, the thing with I, – that I kept seeing from a lot of people who are using this – like it's one thing to be like, okay, this is this person's opinion. And like you said, you know, hey, they – they could know just as little about it as we do. Uh, but then a lot of people were using like, hey, Joe Rogan said this and then it got on TMZ. And look how many of the people on TMZ agreed with him as if that's how we should be making these policies. By what percentage of TMZ readers uh, approve of what you say? I mean, obviously, we do not want to do that. We don't want to decide, you know, things like who gets to participate in MMA based on what, you know, TMZ commenters think. So just because somebody has an opinion and, you know, you can have an opinion, uh, you can even have a, a wrong opinion and a lot of people could agree with it. That doesn't then make it right. You know, I, I under, can understand how this one is a, a tough one for a lot of people, uh, but I also feel like it should be pretty clear that, uh, if, you know, Bodies like the Olympics or like women's tennis or, or, or women's golf or something, if they've dealt with this and figured out, you know, here's the criteria you use, then, you know, we should be using that same criteria for MMA. I don't, I don't know why, just because a whole bunch of people on TMZ think it sounds awesome when Joe Rogan goes off on a rant about it, that means we want to make our policies suit that. That seems insane to me.
0: Well, whenever I'm trying to figure out how to come down on an issue, I always log on to TMZ and check out what the commenters have to say. I know you do. In order to guide me in the proper direction. That's my moral compass Yeah, are the commenters on TMZ.
1: That's how you end up with such strong opinions about people's beach bodies.
0: That's why I voted for Kim Kardashian in the last presidential election.
1: (laughs) Good work, Chad.
0: The last question this week comes from Paul Peterson. He writes, a few months ago, you answered a question I would like to bring up again. A listener asked you if you were a young prospect, whether you would like to sign with Strikeforce, Bellator, or visit the Tough House for a season. A lot has changed since then. It's proven to be harder to get the to get the UFC after a, to get to the UFC after a stint with Bellator. If Bjorn and company really like you, I guess he's referring to the Eddie Alvarez contract. I guess he mentioned. is uh strike force has given up the ghost and the ultimate fighter is well just the same so i would like to re-ask you the question with a slight change if you were a young prospect with a nine and one record who would you sign up for bellator tough or a scrappy start with bad stopwatches at the world series of fighting
1: well first of all i assume that the one loss in my nine and one record is some real bullshit uh, that uh, you know where I got screwed by the judges, or maybe it, it guy hit me with a lucky a, elbow. It
0: was probably a freak knockout. Man. Yeah,
1: guy hit me with a lucky elbow all the time. Bad stoppage. Um, you know, after thinking about this a little bit, there's an argument to be made for the World Series of Fighting, right here. Really? For I mean, hear me out. The the problem I think is that uh, you might. Think you sign with the World Series of Fighting and then, you know, six months goes by and they don't give you a fight or something because they just don't have enough events and don't seem, uh, you know, any kind of new organization, they're going to have some, some screw ups along the way and it's not exactly a well oiled machine yet. Uh, but if you, you know, sign like a short term deal with the World Series of Fighting, it's enough exposure and enough other, you know, well known fighters that you could beat a couple dudes up and get noticed, make a little bit of a name to yourself and up your asking price then when you go try and get a deal with the UFC. Like, look at a guy like, uh, Justin who fought, uh, uh, Jay-Z Cavalcante, looked really good in that fight. Uh, you know, that I think is better and quicker and with a, without getting tied down into a bad contract situation, uh, Kind of a better way of, of vaulting you t- into that next level, or at least in, for consideration in that next level without having to do a goddamn reality show or get signed to some legal battle with Bellator.
0: Yeah, I guess I can see that. I mean, I guess you're going to have to make goddamn well and good sure that you win all those fights in World Series of Fighting because well, I don't know that that worked out didn't for you Tyson hear- Nam particularly well.
1: <laughs> didn't you hear that the only loss I had was because of a bad stoppage? Oh, yeah, no,
0: I know. It's bullshit. That I'm judges a monster, fucked man. You I can't there. be stopped. Uh, maybe you're, maybe you're right. I don't know. I think, I feel like I would still opt for the ultimate fighter though, just because these days now, especially now that they're moving to this weekly live fights schedule on, uh, on the new Fox sports one, I feel like that they're going to need a lot of these dudes. So I feel like if you can go onto the ultimate fighter and have a halfway decent performance, like a, you know, Mike Ricci making it to the finals and in not his, his natural weight class, or even a guy like Neil Magny who wound up on this last UFC card. Um, I still feel like you're sort of cutting out the middleman in terms <laughs> of going that route. Although, you know, uh, world series of fighting, I guess it's a good opportunity. Although I would think like, unless you come out of the world series of fighting, looking incredibly dominant, you could find yourself still, being a contestant on The Ultimate Fighter, yeah. you know, like you're still at that about that level. That's when it a good comes point. Signing with the UFC.
1: Also, the thing with The Ultimate Fighter, though, is they're gonna edit you. You don't know how you're gonna come off.
0: All oh, those goddamn editors. Yeah, man. you know,
1: you think you you went on there and and uh, represented yourself very well, and the next thing you know, it's just a bunch of other dudes talking about. Man, this guy won't stop
0: talking about this bullshit stoppage that that accounted for his only loss. I don't know what his deal is. Ah. Uh, All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have a question or a comment or a concern or you want to quote unquote correct us on a fact in upcoming episodes, you know how to get a hold of the podcast. Go to the website com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. As for right now, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. then i assume that you found out about alexander gustafson's facial laceration the same way that i did and that is the same way that these days i get all of my international ufc news and that is by getting an email from a dude and a pr organization that i have never heard of before
1: Uh, that's exactly how i heard as a matter of fact walking um, my dog got the email also i love how when those people send those emails uh and it's to like a huge list yeah. of MMA journalists which all CC of our emails right? just shown so that then other people can add us to basically their own spam lists uh, without our consent.
0: And oh yeah, and we know how to shoot Mike Chiappetta an email now if we if we want to since Yeah. Uh,
1: Get ready for a bunch of hilarious photoshops of kittens, <laughs> Mike.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's weird. I feel like this just happened to me in the last few months that every time a fight between two dudes I've never heard of before on the undercard of UFC Kurdistan, gets signed. I get one, maybe two, sometimes three emails about it. And I don't know why that is or how that happened, but it is a thing that just happened. And and so this this past weekend, I got two emails about Alistair Gustafson's facial situation.
1: This is the first time it's actually, the emails have been something useful that I can recall, right? Well, that's
0: the thing, is that every time I get one, I always think, well, better wait. And make sure this gets <laughs> confirmed by someone who who I've heard of before before I start, you know. Oh, you're such an elitist. Blaring it all over town, media uh, elitist. But I did see that 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 you know a lot of websites did end up running with it, and it has been confirmed that Gustafson did indeed suffer a cut. But just like clockwork, about what twenty four forty eight hours later, Dana White comes out and and, and puts the kibosh on everybody's mm. reports, saying that. The, the fight will, in fact, go on as scheduled. At least he believes it will.
1: Dan White reached for comment, and his uh, main compound over the sound of machine gun fire assures us everything will be fine.
0: It's almost as if the UFC has to make a few calls, you know, <laughs> to to make sure that uh, that everything's still right as rain. And then they'll come out and, and be like, no, you fucking idiots got it wrong again. The, the fight is actually on. But as well, far as we know, Alexander Gustafson and... Gay Hard, Sweet and Sassy Musasi, Young Vagabond, are indeed headlining this weekend's UFC on Fuel TV 9. Well,
1: well, wait, I mean, the stuff I've heard from Dana White, the the comments I've seen around the internet, are all him saying that Gustafson is not out. Like, it kind of has the feel of, Gustafson is not 100% ruled out of this fight. It is possible he could fight. Okay. I don't see a whole lot of stuff that seems quite as secure, and Gustafsson will absolutely one hundred percent fight. It still seems like that's up in the air, yeah, and it, it seems does. like maybe just possibly the UFC is is either trying to to put off that announcement uh, until as late as possible, or it might be one of those things where uh, they have to sit down and have a talk with the Swedish MMA federation. Uh, about exactly what's permissible and what's not. Cause I, 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 met those guys from the Swedish MMA Federation when I was over in Stockholm, uh, last spring, and they were the same dudes starting up the, the International MMA Federation. The Swedes really love them some federations. They love some, some regulating bodies, love, love a bunch of rules and shit like that. Uh, and I'm just saying, I could see the UFC sitting down with these guys and having a conversation along the lines of, look, do you want another UFC event in Sweden ever? but maybe that cut's not so bad, you know? So I don't know this way at this point, I wouldn't
0: be surprised if it goes either way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we should all sit, sit back and hope that the fight goes on because it's not only a, an important fight in the light heavyweight division, because I think we're all sort of, Hoping, praying and expecting that if Alexander Gustafson looks halfway decent in this fight, he could very well leapfrog Lyoto Machida into a uh, number one contender type situation, which, uh, you know, for whoever emerges from that uh, dead heat between Chael Sonnen and John Jones in the upcoming light <laughs> heavyweight title defense. <laughs> but it's also important to this card because this is not a deep and or attractive card without that uh, that headliner on top.
1: Wait, you're, you're saying you don't think Ross Pearson ranked a tour as a main event fight? That's what you're saying? You no, know
0: I'm saying it's a co-main event fight.
1: <laughs> no, you're right. This one particularly, you know, and I, I talked to Alexander Gustafson, and we talked a little bit about that first uh, fight in Stockholm, and the crowd reaction to that one was amazing. I mean, that was up there, top three, top four uh, loudest, most enthusiastic crowds I've ever seen. And you wonder how much of that was the novelty of it. I mean, not not that I doubt that there are a bunch of hardcore MMA fans in in Sweden and the the surrounding countries, but uh, I also wonder if it's quite the same thing the next time they come around. And also, Gustafsson there is a superstar over there. Uh, If you take him off that card, I don't know if the same people who are out there buying these tickets off of scalpers for three times the face value are going to be doing the same thing uh, on Saturday this time if he's not there. I mean, I, I feel like... A, a lot of scalpers in Sweden might be left holding the bag here.
0: Well, we did get at, at least one email this week from, uh, you know, a guy who emails the podcast a lot voicing his, his concern that, uh, if this, uh, Gustafson Musasi fight didn't happen, he wasn't quite sure how he felt about the $220 he shelled out for a, a ticket to this event. Now, card
1: subject to change, my man.
0: I don't know if, uh, if that's a conversion to American dollars or if it's just in, uh, kroner swedish or whatever they use and uh, i, I assume know. it's all coins right <laughs> paid for it all in coins but no i mean I, th- I think you you bring up a valid concern they they do i you know both for the 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 television numbers and i assume for the live crowd and the scalpers that apparently are the people you are chiefly concerned with well
1: uh, it seemed uh, at least the first time when they were in stockholm that the the ufc touted how quickly it sold out and then when I started talking to people in Stockholm there, they were saying, well, it sold out so quickly uh, because of how many people bought them to resell them. And so, like I went around and talked to a bunch of people kind of putting together a, a story from that angle, you know, first time in Stockholm, all that stuff. And every single person I talked to had bought their tickets secondhand from, you know, either out front that day or...
0: So you're saying there's a robust scalping industry. There, there,
1: there seemed to be.
0: Well, yeah. And, and it would be... It would be bizarre if this fight didn't happen. I would hope that, uh, we wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have to be out front just pulling in randoms to, to fill seats, uh, like it was the XFL or something like that. Um, I don't, but let, let's pretend this fight does happen because at this point, I guess we're, we're, we're led to believe that, that it will. Does this change anything for you? I think, well, you know, when we talked about this fight before, we had thought that, that this seemed like a, kind of a walk in the park for Gustafson maybe not that big of a pushover about a fight that he should certainly win if he goes out there with with a terrible cut uh super glued shut with a inch and a half of Vaseline on it and nothing else does this give the young vagabond a better chance to pull the upset
1: a better chance I would still stop short of saying a really good chance I mean unless we can see Gustafson's skull I, I, I like his chances in that fight. You know, I, I don't know exactly how bad that cut might be. You know, maybe uh, Sweet and Sassy can open it up, give him something to think about there. But you just look at those two style-wise and physically, and it's hard to see how Musasi wins that fight.
0: Yeah, especially if he shows up as, I don't want to say disinterested, but ah, uh, hell, <laughs> let's just say it. Disinterested as he has appeared at times in the recent past. Yeah. Um,
1: and if we can't see, if there's no exposed brain matter from Alexander Gustafson going in, got of like his chances.
0: Takes on the aura of a bit of a clusterfuck, though, if you do indeed get Alexander Gustafson to still go through with this fight when he has a giant gash on his head. You know, if.
1: Every time you talk t- about this cut, I feel like in your mind it gets worse. It goes from a
0: cut, like a laceration, and now it's a gash. Hey, man, when you leave things to my imagination. You know how it goes, especially (laughs) when I'm imagining gashes.
1: Yeah. Especially then.
0: Oh boy. Uh, um, yeah. Well, if Gustafson goes out and loses this fight on cuts after we've, (laughs) we've maybe sort of pressured him into taking it. I don't, I mean, it seems like he still definitely wants to fight because he's a fighter. But, you know, if you have to grease the wheels, so to speak, to get this to happen and then Alexander Gustafson ends up losing to, to the vagabond on cuts at that point, I don't know. That's, that's unseemly. Yeah, no. That, as Method that, Man might say. On, that, that is unseemly as a
1: motherfucker. Yeah, you would, you would really hope, especially that if he loses, he doesn't lose that way. Uh, what I think though, the thing is, uh, everybody seems to be th- looking at this fight as this is Gustafson's audition, right? Like, this is his chance, even though we're told Leona Machida beat the number one contender and all that stuff. Uh, this is Gustafson's chance to go out there, do something spectacular, uh, and jump ahead of the line, and then it's Gustafson, John Jones, or I'm sorry, Gustafson, winner of John Jones, Chael Sonnen. Uh Hey, maybe this is exactly what he needs to to up the level of difficulty here uh, to make that case for him, because he's not really the kind of dude who's going to go out there and make it vocally himself. He, you know, you can't really see Alexander Gustafsson standing up there and yelling about how I want John Jones. John Jones is scared of me. John Jones doesn't want. You know, he's just not that kind of guy.
0: He needs a hype man.
1: He does need right? a hype man. He needs
0: Flavor Flav out there. Yeah,
1: or Mike Easton. I think he's a <laughs> pretty good hype man. Uh, yeah, he. You know, he doesn't really do that stuff. And then you put him in a fight with uh, Sweet and Sassy, the young vagabond. A fight that he's expected to win pretty handily, and. You add those things up and it's like, well, what could you possibly do there, you know, other than just win and win impressively that would, you know, put you at the front of the line? Maybe going out there with a, a huge open gash in your head. Just a. Are you
0: saying wearing the crimson mask?
1: Looks like he, it looks like he got run over by a bulldozer and it's, it's all duct taped up and you go up there anyway and do the damn thing. Uh, and then can't you just picture Dana White at the press conference afterwards being like, man, this kid really showed how bad he wants it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 took, I took, I took, I took I one look at
1: that gash and I thought, no way,
0: there's just no way. I heard that, uh, that Gustafson is rolling into this fight, fresh off fra- facial transplant surgery. <laughs> it was that bad of a cut.
1: Yeah. It's experimental. They'll, they'll, they'll only do it in Sweden.
0: His face looked like a dude who wrecked his motorbike going 125 <laughs> miles an hour with no helmet. Anyway, let's do, uh, are you fucking kidding me? Should we, should we do that? We might as well do it before we move on to round number two. My,
1: are you fucking kidding me? This week goes out to the timekeeper at the World Series of Fighting event in Atlantic City. Now, in the main event uh, where Andrei Olovsky fought Anthony Johnson, the Greg Jackson's team pointed out that the first round actually lasted five minutes and eight seconds. And Just if, ballparking it, if you go, <laughs> if you go and you time it as you're watching it at the five minute mark where the round should have ended. Arlovsky and Johnson both throw and whiff on right hands, and then it should be the round should be over. Uh, but it's not, and Johnson lands a big right an instant later that drops Arlovsky, then another one that drops him again. Uh, and that's probably the point where he breaks his jaw and gives Arlovsky a pretty deep hole to climb out of for the rest of the fight. Now I'm not saying necessarily that the the fight should have would have gone one way or another without that, but I am saying to the timekeeper there. Are you fucking kidding
0: me? Are you fucking kidding you me? You
1: have one job, and it's a job that you can do with an iPhone. Just pull up the stopwatch feature, hit start. When you see it say five zero 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 all the way across,
0: go ding ding ding, and that's it. You fucking kidding me? You can't do that? Not even the timekeeper is safe from are you fucking kidding me? You're fucking kidding me! Well, I've heard that World Series of Fighting Rounds are staged in thereabouts (laughs) periods of five minutes. Three-ish rounds of five or so minutes. Ben, I don't know if you heard this week that Ken Shamrock is coming out of retirement. Oh, boy. Yeah, he's going to take on Ian the Machine Freeman. Was 42 years old and has not fought since winning the cage rage light heavyweight title back in 2008. Hmm. Now you might think that my, are you fucking kidding me? Could go out to shammy this week uh, because he is 49 years old is two and seven dating back to, I think about 2008 and the last or 2005 actually, I think uh, the last time that he Popped up in our collective consciousness was when he did color commentating a couple weeks ago on an access TV broadcast wearing just a uh, immaculate white turtleneck with a (laughs) Nike swoosh on it. But that's not what I'm doing this week. This week, my are you fucking kidding me actually goes out to Ian Freeman some seven years late because when I saw him at the after party. Of UFC 43, immediately after he had fought to a split draw with Vernon Tiger White, and I stopped to tell him that I thought that he won the fight. He just looked at me. He just stared at me like I was the biggest idiot he'd ever seen in his life. <laughs> I mean, so wait, that's what this is about? Are you fucking kidding me, Ian Freeman? You're, you're, you're. Are you fucking kidding me?
1: Is is retroactive? Yes. To- <laughs> yes.
0: Hurt my feelings.
1: That I gotta I gotta be honest with you, that took a weird turn. I was not expecting that.
0: Well, you know, I thought I would try to take it to the next level. No, me I mean, let's be honest. Nobody wants to come out and just give Ken Shamrock an Are You Fucking Kidding Me for coming out of retirement at age forty nine.
1: So instead, Ian Freeman gets gets smacked in his head with an Are you fucking
0: kidding me for a no, perceived I, slight. I wouldn't call it a smack, I would just say more of a it's a sad, Are you fucking kidding me? Because there I was just an impressionable kid, you know? <laughs> Trying to make my way in the world. And I get I essentially get diazed by uh by Ian Freeman. It's old wounds, man, but it still feels just like yesterday. Uh this reminds
1: me, have you read Ian Freeman's memoir?
0: No, I didn't know that it existed.
1: Uh, Cage fighter? Yeah.
0: That's a possibility for the next uh well, co main event podcast book club. I've read it. Oh, you've already read it.
1: Yeah. I, I, he, he gave me a free copy when uh, I was working for the IFL and he was being discussed to, to coach some British team. I don't think it ever really came together. Um, but he was super excited about the book back then. And let me tell you, it's kind of like uh, the British MMA fighter version of Ric Flair's
0: autobiography. Well, now we have to do it for the book club. <laughs> And that also makes Ian Freeman sound like a much nicer fellow.
1: A lot of pub antics. uh, Oh, now I'm
0: interested. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. Uh, We'll be right back in moments with round number two.
1: Chad, exciting news out of Hollywood recently.
0: Oh, I can't wait.
1: George St. Pierre, UFC welterweight champion. Heard of him. Will have a role in the next Captain America movie as Batrock the Leaper. Batrock the Leaper! Who I know is one of your favorites.
0: Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite supervillains. He's a bad guy, right? Yeah, I think he's a bad well, guy. Well, he's French, so I assume that uh, he
1: he is. <laughs> Wikipedia would have me believe that uh, his alter ego is George Batrock. So at least uh, GSP won't have to learn a new first name. If yeah,
0: someone says "Hey George," he'll just be able he'll already to be turning around. Roll with it, yeah. Now, my favorite part of this is that I looked up Batrock the Leaper. Yeah, on, you sound like
1: you're really well versed on it
0: on uh, on the internets. This past week seems like he has a totally sweet mustache <laughs> and I hope and pray that George St. Pierre indeed is fixed up with some sort of makeup uh, well, prosthetic. Just grow the damn mustache. Come oh, on, man. I don't think George can grow this kind of mustache. How
1: dare you? How dare you suggest that George St. Pierre can't grow a mustache?
0: Well, he's a little bit more of the fair persuasion. I think like when it, when he had hair, I believe he was more of a, of a blonde he, type no, individual? Is, I don't know.
1: It's been so long. I mean, he's, we're talking... He's kind of like a seal at this point. Batrock
0: the Leaper has like six inches of straight black hair, like waxed out from his face. It's it's going to be awesome if they, <laughs> if they do it. Well, I guess the question that's relevant for
1: us as MMA fans... Will I
0: see Captain America 2? Yes. I saw the first one. I know. I know I m- you... I might as well hook up for the second installment. You I, go, you're going to the
1: Big D for this one?
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to get the first two hours of my life back that I, <laughs> that I used up watching Captain America 1.
1: I'm just saying. Buy the
0: ticket, take the ride. That's what I say.
1: Maybe you and I get some of those miniature bottles of vodka and a couple Diet Pepsis roll up in there, uh, uh middle of the afternoon. Diet Pepsi,
0: our go-to drink.
1: Yeah. Uh, mix up a couple sirens. Uh, you know, the, when I heard this, it struck me as well, of course, now George St. Pierre is like now he's making this move when it's basically the perfect time for him. Yeah. Everything this guy does, it's like he always knows exactly what to do, what's the right move for his his finance and his image to the point where like that's
0: part of the boring part. Like, man, go on a go on a vehicular rampage or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, drive a huge monster truck with your face painted on the side of it through Southern California on a high-speed chase with the police.
1: Come out of a nightclub with, you know, a bunch of crazy girls on your arm yelling about how you're a golden god. Something. (laughs) (laughs) You know, instead, the guy's got the passive income. He's got, like, a skincare line. He's got all the the high-dollar sponsorships. He knows just when to go do the movie thing, like kind of when his career seems to be tailing off anyway. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's Almost annoying how how smart he is about some of that stuff, but then it's got to be pretty awesome for him.
0: Oh, well, yeah, completely awesome for him. But, as you said, totally annoying for us, especially if this Batrock the Leaper news means that we are not actually going to get to see George St. Pierre fight Johnny Hendricks, or at least that it could be delayed, which... Let's be honest. If that turns out to be true, it will surprise absolutely no one.
1: I just imagine. Can you imagine Johnny Hendricks hearing this news? Wait,
0: except Johnny Hendricks. It probably surprises and greatly disappoints him. Oh, man. I'm going to get screwed again. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that'd, that'd be too bad because this is the one uh, I feel like now that we've waded through these sort of lackluster George St. Pierre matchups, this is the one that we really had earmarked as the one we wanted to see because, as we've said in, in weeks past, Johnny Hendricks seems like maybe the kind of guy that could force George St. Pierre into a fight. And who knows, man? Maybe George St. Pierre knows that. And so getting however much money to go be in Captain America 2 Maybe seems like a better deal now. That maybe is is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because, as far as I know, we still are not a hundred percent sure how big of a role in uh, Captain America: True this Batrock the Leaper follows. Batroc will play. the Leaper, man! You think he's going to be the main bad guy? Because I can oh. find that a little bit hard to believe. Well, I
1: mean, you're not going to put Batrock the Leaper in a movie unless he's going to get some serious
0: screen time. You don't think this is going to be like uh, Couture and? In the expendables, where he sticks his head in, has a couple of lines, and.
1: Hey, but they did a whole bit about his cauliflower ear, right? Well, hey, man, it's there. You gotta use it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that was the best case scenario for Randy Couture right there.
0: I'm just saying, if you look at the poster for Captain America 2 and it turns out to be that one dude who is Captain America and George St. Pierre, like standing <laughs> next to each other, I'll be a little bit surprised. Okay. I feel okay. like Batrock the Leaper is a supporting villain at best.
1: Still, though, you know, this isn't one of those rinky-dink MMA movies, Ooh. you know, and he's not, you know, he's not just playing a nameless henchman or something here. No, it's a good one.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, this is exactly the kind of role you would expect George Saint Pierre to land. Yeah, totally. You know, it, he's God not going to be in some straight-to-video guy gets out of prison gets talked into an underground cage fighting ring.
1: Oh, wait, I like this idea.
0: I feel like this movie's already out, and I feel like it might star Michael Bisping. <laughs> I think that isn't he? He in like uh, he and Rashad Evans are both in uh, like unfinished biz I don't know what it could be called raging fucking movies I don't know yeah and I didn't see it either well okay
1: so I guess now who knows how the timing of this thing is going to work out let's say though that you can choose one George St. Pierre versus Johnny Hendricks, or George St. Pierre in the totally he doesn't really seem like he wants to do it but is being pressured into it super fight with Anderson Silva he only got one before he runs off to Hollywood, and then you know, then decides to retire on whatever money he's got, uh, which I'm sure is quite a lot. But what do you, what do you want there?
0: I actually want the Johnny Hendricks fight because I think it's the better fight. I, you know, the Anderson Silva George St. Pierre fight, I don't think would turn out to be that competitive. I think just physically, there's too much of a gulf between them. I mean, Anderson Silva is a big uh, middleweight. He's a guy who cuts down from above 200 pounds for sure, and a guy who if he didn't diet or worry about his weight, could probably get up, you know, 230-ish. And when you compare that to George St. Pierre, who is a dude, uh, when you see him in person, he's just not that big of a dude. He, I, you know, he's probably like 190 or something when he, when he cuts down. I just think that, that, you know, having that fight at middleweight doesn't really strike me as a fair proposition for George St. Pierre. And I think it would be kind of a shame... For, well, you know, my, my conventional wisdom has always been that it would be a shame for him to leave the welterweight division in order to go up to take this fight at 185, because he's always said that if he does that, he's staying there, he's not coming back to 170. And I always felt like that was too big of a price to pay for the welterweight division to lose him for this just one-off super fight. So if he's going to do it, it seems like, as uh, Faraz Zahabi indicated this this week, it would be good timing for him to do it as the last fight. But of his career. But I mean, if I had to choose one or the other, I'd really like to see him fight Johnny Hendricks because I just, I can't for the life of me, see him beating Anderson Silva in a, in a, you know, mixed weight super fight, essentially.
1: But what if G- GSP was coming off his role as Batrock the Leaper and Anderson Silva was coming off his role as Dr. Octopus in uh, some Spider-Man shit? Huge mega fight. It's going to make all the world take notice.
0: With some WrestleMania-style movie tie-in yeah. promotional opportunities. So.
1: And the the brain of Dana White is promoting it because he has destroyed the rest of his body in a terrible motorcycle accident. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. But, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I'm I'm joking there, but uh, I'm partially serious that GSP Johnny Hendricks, that is the legitimate— Is that legitimate, the fight you would, you would take? I don't know, because hear me out here. That's okay. the legitimate, like, welterweight—here's a real welterweight title fight— uh, something that Johnny Hendricks clearly has earned and deserves, uh, and actually does something for the, the real division in the UFC. Uh, but GSP Anderson Silva is one of those fights that will make the, the mainstream media nut jobs stop what they're doing, take notice. It's one of those that will kind of reach beyond the normal limits of the sport. Uh, and get a lot more eyeballs for it, which I think is is ultimately good for MMA. You know, we need some more of those. GSP Johnny Hendricks probably not going to do that. I mean, it's obvious it's a GSP fight, so it's obviously going to be big, but it's not the kind of thing where you know even your friends who never watched this MMA stuff are wanting to come over and watch the pay per view and drink your beers and not pitch in. You know, That's GSP true, I feel still does like, that.
0: I feel like we decided a while ago that we don't care about that so much anymore. Who's you know? we,
1: who's we? You, you would, and me, our oh. collective we, consciousness.
0: Okay. You know, the, the, this whole idea of, like, attracting the casual fan and, and what the the mainstream media is going to make of this and that. Like, I'm going to watch the pay-per-view regardless. I don't really care how many other people are going to watch it. And to, to my viewing pleasure, Johnny Hendricks, uh, George St. Pierre is the better fight. I mean, George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva is is... It's a historic fight, for sure. But at the same time, I feel like it's really, really undermined by this concept of, like, here's this super fight that is actually the second best super fight everybody wants to see. (laughs) Like, if you're going to... Uh, toss everything in, in a fucking bag and shake it up and throw it out and, and, and just the whole world's gonna go crazy. Book the fucking Anderson Silva John Jones fight. Cause that's the fight everybody wants to see. It's the fight between the two best fighters in the world right now. And it's, it's the fight between two guys that are closer in size.
1: What if you needed to make the Anderson Silva GSP fight,
0: so then you could twist Anderson Silva's arm to make him go fight John Jones? Hey, if it's a stepping stone, let's do it. But <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm just not that, and I, I I don't want to give the impression I'm not a little bit excited about that fight because I would fucking watch it, and I would hope that that George Saint Pierre could could make it competitive. Uh, and if he could, holy fucking shit, that that would be awesome.
1: Hey, Batrock the Leaper is nobody's stepping stone. Uh, yeah, man. man, if
0: he comes into this thing with the with in Batrock the Leaper shape. Straight from the set. Well,
1: twisting his mustache,
0: twisting his mustache, and just with cardio for days and the leaping ability. Yeah, Good my God,
1: God. don't even, don't sleep on the leaping ability. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess one of the things is if this is the moment where we're seeing GSP begin his transition out of MMA again, and this would again be so goddamn sensible. For GSP to be the guy who knows when to when to go, the guy who knows exactly when to cash in on his MMA fame for something else that doesn't involve being punched in the face, uh, and then move out of it right in time, uh, and become that rare guy who can stay out of it and not be drawn back by you know the the need to hear the fans screaming his name again, you know, are you okay with that? Say say he does that Johnny Hendricks fight somewhere before or after this this Batrock the Leaper nonsense. Uh, and then goes on Batrock gets his own spin-off show on uh you know the Spuby Spuke <laughs> TV, TV. Something Wait, like that. Batrock
0: Leaper owns a pizza joint in Cleveland.
1: <laughs> well, you know, of course if, if Batrock Leaper he gets He and Captain
0: this, America fall for the same girl. <laughs>
1: if he gets this show on Spuke, then he'll be dead to Dana White and never be able to corner anybody ever again. But you know, say that he does that Johnny Hendricks fight and then he's out. You know, he, he's he's cashing in right at the right time, and then we never see him again. You
0: okay with that? Well, I'm yeah, I'm always fine when anybody wants to walk away. It's it's their life, it's their brain. You know, clearly George St. Pierre has made a shit ton of money. He makes that George St. Pierre money. Mhm. Guys come over every hour on the hour and pamper his shit out. Pamper the fuck out. And not I mean not to mention the fact that that dude has accomplished anything you could probably possibly accomplish. I mean, he he takes the old cliche that he's got nothing to prove and 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 you know, makes it real because he's already done it all, everything that he possibly could do with you know, with the exception of beating the middleweight champion, uh, am I going to miss him? Oh, hell yeah, I am. He's the most dominant welterweight of all time. I'm, that's right. in My wheelhouse. I like a guy who comes in and makes the, the other best welterweight fighters in the world look like tiny children. It's my favorite thing. So yeah, I would, I would miss the guy, but it's, I mean, am I okay with it? Of course.
1: You know, I heard interesting character note about Batrock the Leaper that I read on Wikipedia is that, uh, one of the things he is known for is being pampered the fuck out.
0: Oh wow! He's yeah, a, he, he's how is he? Just, he's like a, a, a French Canadian kickboxer with, with Savat. Yeah, he's oh, a Savat expert. Could they yeah. not get Gerard Gordou to come in and, and be Batrock the Leaper? Was yeah. he not within Captain America's budget?
1: I think uh, maybe Gerard Gordou was deemed too old for this shit.
0: <laughs> they didn't want him to almost put out Captain America's eyes <laughs> with his thumbs.
1: But he already owns the pants, so uh, you know. He's he's one step ahead of the game there. Yeah, save
0: some money there. Uh, anyway, uh, if it if it happens, we wish George Saint Pierre the best. I do, you know, for selfish reasons, hope that we get to see that Johnny e. Hendricks fight before uh, it's all said and done. But that's going to do it for our discussion of uh, George Saint Pierre's possible retirement in round number two. And we will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, I was a little bit facetious at the top of the show, Oh no, saying that uh it seems like Invicta is the only independent MMA promotion that we ever talk about, but the truth is that this coming weekend's card uh Invicta Five is actually discussion worthy for I feel like a number of different reasons, uh, and not just because it takes place on my birthday.
1: Well, thanks for throwing that out there. Uh, is that going to be your excuse for why you don't watch it or is it be- going to be because of oh, I'm not gender quality again? I'm not
0: watching this. There's no – it's my birthday, dude. I'm not I'm not sitting around watching Invicta on my birthday.
1: Well, that's a bummer because the only thing I got you for your birthday was the online pay-per-view for Invicta 5.
0: All right. You just changed my mind. Um The reason that I feel like well, – at least the, the the reason to start this discussion that I feel like is noteworthy about Invicta is this is a pretty – as I think Ben Foulkes would say, good little card – of of fights. There's a lot of known names on here. You've got uh Jessica Penne and Michelle Watterson in the uh in the main event and, and uh in addition to that the return of Chris Cyborg Santos, the much anticipated, long awaited return.
1: Sarah Kaufman you got on the Sarah card.
0: Kaufman on the card, you've got uh Zoila on the on the card, Caitlin Young, Caitlin Young, Julia Budd, uh Beck Don't Try It Hyatt.
1: Yeah, not. uh who You know, she's only, I think, 4-2, and so it's tough to know exactly how good Beck Hyatt is. But if she is anywhere as good or enthusiastic a fighter as she is a self-promoter on social media, then she will be champion soon because, man, that girl won't leave you alone on Twitter. That girl is always, she's making video blogs and hyping her articles she's got on newspapers in Australia. And, man, if she does anything, you hear about it
0: uh what's the thing ben that you are most looking forward to on this weekend's card? is is it the uh is it the adam weight championship bout or do you want to watch uh chris cyborg santos come in against a replacement opponent and uh and uh not necessarily get off the schneid but uh re- resume her career i guess you could say like what's the what's the biggest drawing card for you here well, you
1: know there's a lot of different drawing cards for me on, on this, and I think that this is one of the strengths of Invicta going forward, is that it's starting to it's have this, like, magnet effect where the female fighters see how well other female fighters are doing there, how well they're treated, uh, and they want to go there, which then means that there's fewer female fighters elsewhere. So Invicta is more and more becoming the place to be, so that every single Invicta card is pretty stacked. As long as there aren't injuries knocking people out, which has happened every once in a while, then everybody wants to fight on each Invicta card. And they're still, they're still rare enough that, uh, every time it rolls around, it seems like any healthy female fighter who is anybody wants to be on those. Uh, which, I yeah, think that right there is an interesting story. Yeah.
0: And, and even though we joke about it, that is the thing that probably makes Invicta more noteworthy than other independent promotions is that they are offering you a, a promotional package that nobody else has right now. It's a unique product and, uh, and they do a good job with it. And so we, they do, I think, had, they have set a course in the right direction, I think, for, for female MMA. And I think that, that it's, it's right that they, they, continually put on these good cards with notable fighters and it does feel a little bit like they're picking up some momentum here but let's talk for a minute about bellator because i think this is an offshoot of what of what you were saying there a while ago it seemed like bellator was really gonna be gung-ho about this whole women's fighting thing
1: and that was another thing they had to separate them from the ufc
0: right they 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 crowned a champion i believe maybe two Uh, and it it seemed like uh was it was going to be one of their you know one of the main thrusts of their promotion. And now that it seems like some of that momentum has been undercut by Invicta and the fact that, as you said, most of the top female fighters are going to go sign with Invicta, uh, possibly as a prelude to the UFC because it, it you know I suppose the cat's out of the bag right now. If that you know if if not a an actual partnership between Invicta and the UFC. There certainly is a friendly, yeah. working relationship between the two companies. Uh, probably all of which put together made Bellator think, "Hey, let's let's ease off this a little bit and and concentrate a bit more on our on our main attractions, the uh, the male fighters." Um, what do you make of that? Is that the wrong move for Bellator, or do you feel like it's just understandable considering the circumstances?
1: You know, I'd be really interested to know exactly how the cause and effect worked there. Because it's hard for me to tell whether uh, Bellator first, you know, made that decision that they saw this coming and thought, well, this is not a a market worth fighting over too heavily. Uh, that this is the way things are moving, so we'll just kind of let our existing female contracts play out, and then if Invicta takes them away, so be it. Uh, or if it was a little more gradual, that it was the combination of uh, Invicta coming up and Bellator maybe just not giving as much attention as it should have to its female fighters. And then one day you look around and you realize, oh, they all would rather be somewhere else. Uh, because you look at what they're doing. They're putting their, you know, they they had uh, two female fights this, this past week and they put them on the internet undercard. Don't even want to put them on TV. And I understand there's limited time on the TV section, but uh, it just seems like they're making a point to show how not committed they are to the future of those divisions. Uh, it's hard for me to think that that's entirely due to the, them just looking at it and saying, oh, well, invicta, Invicta's invicta got this one sewn up. Everybody just step back. Uh, obviously, it's good for Invicta, and it creates this thing where uh, all the female fighters want to be there. In the, Either you want to be there because you think that that's the promotion that means something, or that's the promotion that's going to treat you like you deserve to be treated as a female fighter, or just by a practical concern— that's where everybody else is fighting. That's the only place to get fights. You know, you get to a point like Jessica Aguilar is at where if you're number one ranked in your division and everybody else who's anywhere close to the rankings is over there fighting in Invicta, who are you going to fight? You're eventually just going to run out of bodies. Uh, so I think that Invicta, regardless of how it did it, now kind of has that market cornered. What I really wonder here is, can you get this pay-per-view stream thing to work out for you? Because yeah. that... This is you brought this point up the last time that it was a, a good question. I know you you even are reluctant for us to talk about Invicta on the podcast because we don't talk about the other you know, fairly comparable in size independent promotions, uh, but then we do treat Invicta uh, like it's a little more big time. And but then when something goes wrong, like their stream doesn't work, we say, "Oh, hey, come on, they're just starting them out. Cut cut them a break."
0: Yeah, well, let's hope they're getting this one for free, right, from UStream, <laughs> because the last one uh, didn't go so hot in terms of making the technology uh, jive with everyone, <laughs> with with the uh, the large number of orders that they got,
1: and then they come right back and say, "Hey, try us again, ten bucks again."
0: Well, and that's you know this one this time. It's gotta be seamless. This thing has to come off without a hitch, or I think you will be treading dangerously close to the territory where people are gonna start, and frankly be justified in saying that it's, that if we're gonna treat Invicta like a big time promotion, that it's kinda gotta get its shit together.
1: Yeah. This is the one where you gotta get your shit together. I mean, cause that... When the same way that MMA fans can be really harsh and unforgiving on the internet, when you're a startup promotion and you, you kind of start out with this goodwill, like people just want to see you do well, at least for this kind of beginning climbing out of the primordial ooze moment. Uh, but man, that can turn on you in a hurry. And that's the thing you got to wonder about it. And not just the matter of whether the, the online stream is going to work, but Whether the enthusiasm will remain at the same level, whether people are really as into this as a recurring thing or whether they're more into it as an idea.
0: Yeah, and I think as long as they keep having good fights, a lot of that probably takes care of itself. Good little fights on this card, I think. Uh, So I'm just unbelievably (laughs) sexist over here. Uh, the talent, Ben <laughs> Um Well, let's be honest, though. Biggest star on this card is, is Cyborg Santos, right? You know, with all due respect to the championship fight on the top of the card, I think one of the things we all want to see, even though she's going up against a replacement opponent in Fiona Muxlow, who is six and two. And certainly from the picture on the Invicta website, looks like someone who's been brought in to get run over by a Mack truck Uh We all want to see what Cyborg's got, because we still feel like that Ronda Rousey fight is out there, maybe just beyond the horizon, even though it it seemed rather final when Tito and uh, and, and, and Cyborg kind of made their exit. I think, you know, some things have happened since then that make us think maybe it's still a possibility, and we want to see, frankly, how Cyborg looks and what she's got post-drug test.
1: Yeah, but this is one of those fights for Cyborg where... If she doesn't roll in here, smash Fiona Muxlow, uh, and then roll right out, hardly breaking a sweat, it's going to be a disappointment for her. There's, that's the tough situation that Cyborg Santos is in and why I think it's a kind of a risky move for her and Tito to be betting that, hey, you're going to go in there to Invicta where you basically you have to win all your fights and win them dominantly, anything less than that. And you risk screwing up, you know, the momentum that would demand for a Rousey fight. Uh, and you have to hope that you do all that, the stuff you can control and the stuff you can't control, you know, what the UFC feels like it needs to offer you in order to get you into that Rousey fight. You gotta hope all that comes together too. A lot of moving pieces in play here for for that big bet, which you gotta think that the only way this really pays off is if Cyborg gets that Ronda Rousey fight.
0: Yeah, and not to mention the fact for this fight particularly, I think she's going to have Alistair Overeem esque scrutiny on her mm-hmm. coming in off her, you know, f- the first failed drug test of her, her career. We wanna see if she like like uh Overeem gets up on the scale looking like a shadow of her former self the way he did before the fight with uh Antonio Bigfoot Silva and then see how she looks in the cage because you know in 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 fights past when Strike Force would set her up with someone uh that uh that they obviously brought in for her to beat, say a Jan McFinney or Jan yeah. Finney is that was that Jan, Jan Cuddles? Finney was it, her nickname
1: jan finney the one who looked like a looked like a hansen kid was getting beat up in there yeah, she got sad.
0: as ken shamrock would say beat into a living death <laughs> uh, and so i think that she better deliver that kind of performance against uh muxlow this weekend
1: well speaking of you you mentioned the photos on the invicta website
0: did i oh yeah, the one yeah. where uh she looks like fiona muxlow looks like she's being brought into uh yeah to not not win, let's just say not brought in to win. If
1: you look at the Invicta website under upcoming events and it has the fight card with pictures next to everybody, everybody's doing pretty much the standard fighter fare mm. of like arms crossed or, or fists up, you know, whatever. And then you look at Leslie Smith's photo uh, where she has her back to the camera and is kind of turned looking over her shoulder oh, off into yeah. the distance, like the cover of uh, an 80s metal album or something. Where just the 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 beautiful warrior girl contemplates contemplates the endless future. Uh,
0: what's going on there? I don't know. It looks like some B roll stuff. Looks yeah. like maybe they just wanted to to mix it up a little bit. Well, they mixed it up all right. <laughs> uh, and, well, and then
1: the Cassie uh, Cassie Rodesh's picture down there. It looks like an ad for a real estate agent. What's going on? Why can't we get everybody on the same
0: page with these photos, Chad? <laughs> I don't know, man. I I feel like you might know someone who could make that happen. <laughs> Uh, Well, let's do just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here. This is the part of the show where Ben and I both make a statement that we are then not asked to follow up or support or back with any logic or knowledge because at the end of the day, we are just saying stuff. Ben, this week, I am just saying, let's say you made a high profile bet with another MMA podcast Mm -hmm. that you then lost in embarrassing fashion. I see where this is going but the other MMA podcast's basketball team advances to the Final Four, are you rooting for them to win the championship? Because that somehow softens the blow after your beloved hometown, plucky, underdog, lovable story of a basketball team got absolutely worn around like a button. Does it make it better or worse?
1: I think them making it to the Final Four is close enough To make us feel a little bit of comfort, but then they should get beat there so that, uh, Ariel Helwani still feels the pain.
0: Maybe that's the best outcome. Face the
1: pain, Helwani. Just saying. Just saying. I'm just saying that, uh, this weekend, Shinya Aoki, uh, noted. Never heard of him. (laughs) Noted Japanese submissions expert fights in what I believe is his 40th professional fight. Wow. Yeah. Uh, in 1FC, uh, fighting for the 1FC lightweight title. Uh, and got to say, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, Aoki, still not quite 30 years old. Get out of here. Doesn't turn 30 until this May.
0: That's some Cuban baseball player shit right there. <laughs> it does, it he's does. at least 35. It seems
1: like he's been around forever. I'm just saying that for a guy who really made it his thing that he did not want to jump ship away from Japanese MMA organizations and and go try and hitch his wagon to the UFC. And a guy who, did when he did fight in North America, didn't go terribly well for him. Somehow Shinya Aoki has managed to survive in a dwindling uh, Asian MMA market uh, and, and still feels like something when Shinya Aoki fights. I don't know how he's done it. I would have told him five years ago that that was probably going to be a bad career move. And yet somehow... The guy holds on, does it his way, does it the way he wants to do it, and is still doing all right, still finding fights, still being somebody. I don't know how he does it, but just saying. Good just for you, Aoki.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll let you know if Alexander Gustafson made it to the cage after his suffering a terrible laceration just a huge to his gash. face.
1: I can see his thoughts.
0: <laughs> As for right now, though, that's it. We're done. We're through. We're out.
1: So say Gustafson walks into the cage, and there's just about two pounds of gauze stuffed into his head. I heard he got his nose cut.